Welcome back to the Lair, Cryptic Crew. It's that spooky time of year again, so I wanted to wish everyone the Samhain, Halloween, and Dios de los Muertos that they deserve. This time of year, it's said that the veil grows thin between our world and the next, so it seems only fitting to explore one of the favorite monsters of books, movies, legends, and costume parties. The vampire, the creature that will not die. Vampires fascinate and terrify us in equal measures. With the lure of living forever, untold riches, and unbridled sex appeal, it makes giving up sunlight and garlic a small price to pay. As we explored in part one, there's global lore about vampires, which leads me to wonder, if so many cultures have similar lore, can we really comfortably dismiss it as fiction? Or is there something more, something lurking in the dark, in the night, waiting for its chance to feast upon the living? Grab your salt, your iron, fill those balloons with holy water, and get yourself a braid of garlic, cryptic crew. We're off to explore the origin lore of the vampires. Welcome to another episode of Cryptically Yours Creepy Tales. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at crypticallyyours.com to become an official member of the Cryptic Crew. Not only will you keep up to date on the latest news and happenings, but we'll be sending out a special invite to a Halloween Discord live chat. You can also look for us on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to check out the website for links and details. There's actually a lot of speculation about Dracula having been inspired by Vlad the Impaler. But, although Bram Stoker did do research and discovered the name Dracula meant devil in relation, and that it was an earned name to be given to someone who proved to be either courageous, cruel, or cunning, there's no actual evidence in his notes in regards to Vlad at all. This probably means that Ram lumber through the human body and let them hang until dead, Vladdy likely had absolutely nothing to do with Stoker's creation at all. In fact, being Irish, there was already more than enough lore that Bram would have heard about in regards to vampires. He really didn't need to look beyond his own backyard if he was in search of lore. Also, bad blood in Irish is Throck Ola, which is probably just a coincidence, right? <laughs> Myself, I think that Stoker was more than clever enough to have seized on the similarity and used it. Also, authors are known to slip a joke in even if they're the only ones who are aware of it. Probably the most famous vampire of Ireland is that of the Avrathoc. He was a chieftain 
leader of the people in the area, and a dwarf. Unfortunately for his people, he was also said to be a magician who embraced the dark arts and was an exceedingly cruel tyrant. Such were his cruelties that his people eventually arranged for another chieftain to come in and kill him. You can imagine the shock, however, when he didn't stay dead. After burying him standing up, the people barely got a chance to enjoy their newfound freedom from his tyranny before he popped out of his grave the next day like a demented jack-in-the-box. He was crueler than before and demanded a bowl of blood to be filled from the veins of his subjects. I mean, I guess I can understand being angry that they'd had him killed, but crawling out of the grave to get revenge, that's a bit much, isn't it? Maybe? Well, the other chief came riding back to the rescue. I'm trying to imagine what was going on in his head at that point. Like, I heard he killed the guy. I'm sure I did. We buried him. Uh, I guess he was just mostly dead. Crap. So then, the chieftain kills the Avatok again. And, just like the cat in the song, the Avatok came back the very next day. He terrorized the unholy crap out of everyone. Not exactly a surprise. A guy who's been killed and buried twice showing up again would freak anyone out. Plus, he was demanding another bowl of blood. I'm kind of wondering at this point if the expression, the third time's a charm, comes from the situation. Because the chieftain, realizing that there's something really wrong going on here, and a guy refusing to stay dead, consults a druid. Sources claim that the chieftain was instructed that because the avatar possessed such dark magic, he could only be killed by a sort of view. He needed to be buried upside down, and the grave would be surrounded by thorns and have a large rock placed on top of it. The gravesite is now known as Slatavari Dolmen, and commonly referred to as the Giant's Grave, with two smaller rocks and a larger one on top, under a hawthorn tree. Rumor has it about 30 years ago, Workers tried to clear the area. Their chainsaws malfunctioned when they tried to cut down the hawthorn, and a chain broke, injuring a worker when they tried to move the large rock. It's since been left the heck alone, as it should be. The Dargdu is another Irish folklore that Stoker likely would have heard of she was said to have been a beautiful woman in life who fell in love with a peasant working on a farm. They courted, planned to marry, and start a family. Tragically, her father was a greedy jerk who saw his daughter as a way to get ahead in the world. He sold her into marriage to a chieftain, known not only for his wealth, but also for his incredible cruelty. 
Despite her begging, pleading, and tears, she was forced to marry the chieftain. Her father gained land and riches in exchange. The stories of her new husband's cruelties were unfortunately accurate. If anything, they'd been understated. Not only did he abuse her terribly, but he also locked her up for days and weeks at a time. Broken, the young bride starved herself to death. She'd barely been buried before her husband had already remarried. Her father, the oh-so-charming sack of crap that he was, didn't care. He was far too busy spending his new money and enjoying his new lands. Dara Du rose from her grave and went first to her father's house. She drained him of his life with a kiss and then turned toward her new husband's home. Storming into her former bedroom, she discovered him in the company of several women. Furious, she launched herself at him. The women scattered and screamed as they fled. And I mean, can you blame them? Not only has the guy's wife shown up, but she's crawled out of her grave to do so. And she is raging. There's nobody with a bit of common sense or self-preservation that would want to stick around for that particular reunion. Not only did she pull the breath from his body, but she drained him completely of his blood. Some say she haunted the area for years after, luring unsuspecting young men with their beauty and then draining their blood. Until one day, she simply vanished. Moved on to other hunting grounds, left Ireland, met a druid with the sword of you. We don't know. Others say she returned to her grave and can only rise on the anniversary of her death. So locals gather in Waterford at Strongbow's tree and place rocks on her grave to keep her from emerging to feast on the innocent. But they also whisper that sometimes the rocks are moved, as though Darug's hunger was too powerful to be denied. Enjoying the show? I'd love to hear from you. Drop a comment below or visit us at crypticleors.com. You can sign up for the newsletter, become an official member of the Cryptic Crew, and receive a special invite to a live Halloween chat. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop it in a comment either here or on our website. Who knows? Your idea could be our next creepy tale. Reviews would also be welcome on Podchaser, as well as your favorite podcast platform. It's a short trip from Ireland to Scotland, where I discovered the tale of Melrose Abbey and the Hunter Priest, or the Dog Priest, so nicknamed for his love of hunting and his pack of dogs. And he was a priest, at least in name. I assume he did take vows at some point, which he promptly and thoroughly ignored, unless he had them posted on a wall somewhere to make sure he hadn't screwed up and actually honored one of them or something. 
He wandered around the area, had a mistress, drank to excess, and was basically an example of all the things not to do. Details of his death have been lost in the fog of time. However, the comment that his death was no more holy than his life remains. After his burial, he emerged and tried to enter the cloister, but was unable to. Some say due to the prayers, and possibly magic, of the monks within. He switched his attention to his former mistress, shrieking and wailing outside her home, and generally tormenting the living heck out of her. What happened next is the matter of some debate. Stories agreed that monks took up watch at his grave, but the rest? Well, there are two popular versions of events. The first is that one priest sat at his grave while the others went to sleep or to eat, and he saw the hunted priest jump out of his grave. Terrified, the priest managed to stand his ground and hit the vampire with the battle axe, forcing him back. The earth closed over the grave and magically looked undisturbed. When the monks dug up the grave the next morning, they discovered that the corpse had a fresh axe wound and the coffin was full of blood. In the other version, an elderly monk confronted the vampire when it came out of the grave, smacking it repeatedly with the staff of you until the earth opened up and swallowed the vampire. And the next morning when they opened the coffin, they found the body grinning up at them, lips smeared with blood. In both tales, the hunterpress was burned and then his ashes scattered to the wind, although some claim that his spirit then turned into a bat and entered the abbey. Once inside, it morphed into a vampire, who was then defeated by prayer. It's pretty impossible these days to not have heard of Count Dracula. But, have you heard of Count Saint Germain, my cryptic crew? He was an incredibly popular individual in France back in the 1700s. A frequent visitor at the palace, he was known to host lavish parties and was a master of the piano and violin, had an interest in alchemy, and not only did he speak six languages, but he was also mysteriously wealthy, known to carry loose gemstones in his pockets. Nobody knew where he came from, nor who his family was, although rumor has it he claimed to be the son of Francis II Rakowski, Prince of Transylvania. Hmm. So... We have a mysterious rich guy, extremely educated and cultivated. Okay. And added in some Transylvania. Yeah, got a bit of suspicion happening there. When he first appeared on the scene, people thought he was about 40, give or take. But his age was never confirmed. Weirdly, he didn't age in the 50 years following. And remember the parties I mentioned? <laughs> he was never seen to eat anything at any party, only sipping at wine. 
Voltaire called him the man who knows everything and who never dies. Now, is it just me or is anybody else's vamp detector alarms blaring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. But that's not even close to the end of this story. You see, cryptic crew, Count Saint-Germain did die, or at least <laughs> he was rumored to, in 1784. But nobody actually witnessed his death, and a lot of people claimed to have seen him after he was supposed to have been buried. He vanished just before the French Revolution, which, if rumors are true, he also predicted. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Fast forward to New Orleans, early 20th century, and who appears on the scene? Oh, I don't know. Just a fellow by the name of Jacques Saint-Germain. Mm-hmm. Familiar name, right? Yeah. But that's not a big deal. Except for the fact he fit the description of the supposedly dead count perfectly. Mysterious origins? Mm-hmm. Loads of money? <laughs> oh, yeah. Looks about 40 years old? You betcha. And, just like the former count, or would that be in his former life, he soon found his place among the popular crowd, throwing lavish parties for the elite. Once again, never eating a bite, only sipping from his wine glass. Until, a few months after his arrival on the scene, he was out on his balcony with a woman and attempted to bite her neck. She escaped, but by the time the police arrived, Saint-Germain had vanished. Exploring the apartment, the police were baffled. There was zero sign of food in the kitchen, nor evidence that ever had been any. The tablecloths, however, had large bloodstains on them. Not having a whole lot of scruples, it seems, the police helped themselves to one of the many bottles of wine in the apartment, but they immediately spit out their first mouthful. The bottles were filled with wine, yes, but it was mixed with human blood. But, be he Count Saint-Germain or Jacques Germain, he's not the only vampire that enjoys New Orleans. Perhaps Anne Rice was on to something. In 1932, a young girl ran screaming down the street until she was stopped by police. She babbled a crazy tale to them about having been kidnapped by two men. She and others were held captive, and the men would come after sunset and before dawn to drink their blood by cutting her wrist and collecting the blood in a cup. Her bandaged, bloody wrist was certainly enough evidence for the police to raid the apartment owned by John and Wayne Carter. They were horrified by what they found. 
the girl's story was true. Four other victims, half dead, were found in one room, all of them having blood-soaked bandages on their wrists. More bodies were found in yet another room for a total of 15 victims. The entire place reeked of death. The police decided to wait, and sure enough, the brothers returned for their feeding. And this is where the story splits. Some say the brothers immediately surrendered and begged to be executed, saying that not only were they vampires, but unless they were killed, they'd have no choice but to continue collecting victims. Others say that the brothers, being fairly small in stature, five foot six or so, fought off four police officers, then jumped off the top floor balcony and fled through the streets faster than any human could move. However, the brothers weren't very bright as they showed up for work in the morning at the docks and were then apprehended. The brothers were tried, convicted, and hung as serial killers. Rumors abound as to if the brothers' graves were exhumed and found empty, or if when another body was being placed in the family vault, it was discovered that theirs were missing. But that wasn't the end of the Carter brothers' tale. Two of their victims went on to be murderers themselves. Or had they been turned into vampires? One, a serial killer known as Philippe, had 32 known victims and drank the blood of each one. Another was said to have murdered a horrifying 442 people, dissolving their bodies in acid after drinking their blood. As for the Carter brothers, residents of their former apartment claim that the brothers return each year around Mardi Gras and have witnessed them jumping off the balcony and vanishing. I mean, <laughs> if you're a vampire... Seems like Mardi Gras would be fantastic hunting ground. Or maybe they just really like a good party. Or maybe they're big believers in New Orleans' motto, Laissez le bon temps rouler, let the good times roll. The only question, of course, is good times for who? I'm afraid that's all there is for this episode, Cryptic Crew. So, do you think tonight's creepy tale was fact, fiction, or somewhere in between? You can drop a comment below, head over to crypticlyyours.com, or hunt us down on your favorite social media platform. Return to the lair next week and discover what else we've dug up for you. This is Grace Stone, your host, reminding you to always keep it creepy, cryptids.